Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, babe. Mm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for your word. We approach your word with humility tonight. We approach your word ready to receive exactly what you have for us. I thank you for revival. I thank you for revival in this place. I thank you for personal revival. I thank you for corporate revival. And I thank you for a community awakening. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, quicken my thoughts. Speak through me tonight. Thank you, Father. Cause us to leave here with eternal deposits having been made in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father. God is good. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for your presence in this place. You know, as things get darker and darker in the world, I believe it's to be brighter and brighter in the church. When I say brighter and brighter, you know, when you're, when you're standing in the light, you're not in darkness. You know, Annette brought up deception a moment ago. And there's some things that just I, I see happen on a regular basis within society and the world. And I'm like, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> You know, I mean, for instance, you know, in, in Seattle, they, they were going to do a, they had already reserved this park to do worship in and, and all that. And all of a sudden, you know, Saturday night, they decide to block the whole park off and said, well, we're, it's because of coronavirus, but yet they didn't have any problem with any rioting going on. And yet, yet that all the other parks in Seattle were filled with people, but yet the park that they were going to do a worship service in, they totally put chain link things from fences around it. I mean, to me, it's like, it's like do, do people not see what's going on? And, and, and that's the thing that we really have to guard against is deception. And if you're led by your flesh or your emotions, you're, you're going to be deceived. So we have to be, as Joseph, Joseph prayed, Jesus commissioned the disciples that we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Wise. You know, when you have wisdom, you can see things. That's what wisdom, any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and God gives to him liberally and he upbraids not. So we have to, we have to walk, so to speak, with lack of a better term, just as barefoot priests, so to speak, just very sensitive of what's happening on around us. Amen. Hallelujah. It's getting brighter in the church. It's getting brighter in the church. Hallelujah. How many of you were here last Wednesday night? Anyone remember what I talked about? This is a test. This is a test. Thank you. Number two phrase and make it personal. And then I ended with keep it personal. And uh, I'm going to just kind of go off of of that, that personal aspect of things and Making it personal and keeping it personal. So, personal. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms twenty-seven. Psalms twenty-seven. 
Actually, you go, you go to James chapter 4. Go to James chapter 4. So last week we talked about making it personal and then keeping it personal. Everything is about our personal relationship with God. Everything flows from that. Thank you, Father. We see here with David in verse 4 in in, uh, Psalms 27. I'll get to uh, James in just a moment. It says, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after. I'm going to pursue this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, inquire in his temple, meaning I'm coming into the place, I'm coming to the place where I can get answers. I'm coming, I I, I have one thing, I have one pursuit, I have one direction, I have one sense of hope, I have one sense, and it's going to be found in God's presence. One thing have I desired, and that desire has called me to pursue something. Your, your desires are either setting you up for success or failure. They are. Your desires, everything begins, everything begins with a thought, and the thoughts breed desire. So you are where you are today because of the desires that you've had in your life. Those desires led you in a certain direction. So where did David's desire lead him in this season of his life? It led him to the house of God. Not only that, but he went in wanting to see one thing, but in the aspect of just wanting to see one thing, he was going to see everything. Because when he was looking for that one thing, he said, behold the beauty of the Lord. The brightness of the Lord. That, that's the word beauty means, the brightness of the Lord. So he had to, it was personal to him. And as it was personal to him, it was a place where he could inquire of the Lord. Sometimes you just need to inquire of the Lord. What do I need to do in this situation? Inquire of the Lord to receive the, the strength, receive the, receive the peace that you need. David made it personal. He was a man after God's own heart. Thank you, Father. Now, let's look at James chapter 4. Did you find James chapter 4? Hallelujah. Now, he's talking to Christians here. James, this is the half-brother of Jesus. He's, he's, the, he's the pastor of... He, he didn't get born again until after Jesus had already risen from the dead. Matter of fact, he thought Jesus was weird. He didn't, he didn't, he, you know, they, they made fun of him. But yet, when he realized that his brother was the, the son of God, it totally changed his whole course of his life. So he's talking to, James is talking to Christians here. In verse 4, in the Amplified, it says, You are like unfaithful wives, having illicit love affairs with the world, And breaking your marriage vows to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes a stand as an enemy of God. Man, I think we could just go home right after that. And just say, let's read that scripture for the next five days and see if that won't change your perspective. 
You know, people have the idea, well, Jesus was a, was a, 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 a friend of the world. There's a difference between having compassion on the world and being a friend to the world. There's a difference. James just pretty much calls it like he sees it. And he says, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes a stand as an enemy of God. Just whatever your political party is, just just set that up and look at what party you're a part of. And see what you're a friend of. Verse five. Or do you suppose that scripture is speaking to no purpose that says the spirit whom he has caused to dwell in us yearns over us and he yearns for the spirit to be welcome with a jealous love. Wow. God loves you. God is jealous about you. Why, why does he not want us to be a friend of the world and, and then try to be a friend? Why? Because he's jealous for you. He yearns over you with a jealous love. But then verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Thank God for his grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud and he gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Wow. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So it, it's kind of like what Annette just said. You know, we, we do something, he does something. It's this, it's this aspect. God's never trying to keep us away from him. He's just, one, he's just out for what are our pursuits in life. Say that with me. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. See, that's, that's, that's getting personal. If I'm drawing near, you know, if I'm, I'm heading this direction, I'm heading towards Tanya and Ryan, I'm drawing near. And then what happens? They start drawing near, draw near, draw near. Work with me here. Ryan doesn't want to draw near. It's okay. <laughs> And so what happens is now because we, we drew near, they, he drew, they drew near and I drew near, what happens now we, became, we become personal. Amen. We become personal. Thank you, guys. So, and that is just a simple illustration, but the drawing near to him and him drawing near to us is all about being personal. Say, being personal. Drawing near is about having close communion with God. My title for tonight is Coming Close. In December of 1999, I I was in my my fourth year of, I mean, fourth month of Bible school here. I was uh, sitting kind of over where Jim Gordon is here. Raise your hand, Jim Gordon. I I was sitting there, uh, and we actually had tables set up, and Dr. Savell was ministering to us as Bible school students, and he made a statement, and this was in December of 1999, and he said, you will never be an instrument of revival if closer communion with God doesn't become a priority. Let me say that again. This is something he, 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 he spoke and I wrote down in uh, December of 1999. And he said, you'll never be an instrument of revival if closer communion with God doesn't become a priority. 
It's just, it's just an instrument of revival. You, you are an instrument of revival. The church is an instrument of revival. So God, the scripture here, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. What is this communicating to us? That God is inviting to us. God is inviting us to have close communion with him. Why does he want close communion with us? Why? Because he wants to, us to be instruments of revival. It's in the drawing near that we're changed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18, it talks about that as we behold his face, that we, that we, we, as, as we behold his face, we're changed from one degree of glory to another. You know what? You can't, you can't totally behold someone if, if you're in a different room. You can't behold someone if you're not on the, in the same zip code. Behold means you can see their face. You can see their expression. You can see their, uh, their, their, the look on that. You can see the aspect of their nature. Why? Because you're beholding them. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Go to Philippians chapter three. You can hold your place there in, in James chapter four. We'll come back here in a little, in there in a little bit. Philippians chapter three. I talked about this scripture last week as well, about Paul had to make it personal. Hallelujah. Now keep that, the thought of draw near to God and he'll draw near to you as I read this scripture in the Amplified. Philippians chapter three. Verse 10 in the Amplified says, my determined purpose is that I may know him. You're not going to know someone if you don't spend time with them. My determined purpose is that I may know him. Now listen to this, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. I love that expression, deeply and intimate. That's personal. Deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person. Meaning, as I'm intimate with him, as I'm up close and personal with him, I get to know him and I get to see him. Perceiving, perceiving is seeing something, recognizing is and understanding the wonders of his person. So as I'm coming near to him and he's coming near to me, I get to know how he does things, how he operates. You will never be an instrument of revival if closer communion with God doesn't become a priority. Revival is birthed out of being close. Hallelujah. Getting close. Now, getting close to to what? Getting close to Him. Getting close to Him. I mean, who is He? What is He? He's... He's righteous. He is justice. He doesn't have love. He is love. He is 
power. So when, when, I, when I use that phrase, coming close to him, draw near to him and he's drawing near to me, what happens? I, I'm coming close to him. So as I'm drawing near, I'm coming close to what and who righteousness is. I'm coming close to love. I'm coming close to glory. I'm coming close to his power. I'm coming close to all that he is. I'm coming close. I'm coming close to him. You know, they, they talk about, you know, if I'm coming close to him, then I'm also coming close to his word. I, I'm coming close to him. I'm drawing near to him. And, and it's impossible to get close to something and it not rub off on you. No, I had, you know, my, my first really pastor after I got born again, you know, I, I would show up and, 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 and visit the church from time to time and I would come watch, go watch their church softball games and this was before I was born again and, and, and my pastor would always, uh, my pastor would always say, he goes, you know, if you hang around a slippery creek bank long enough, you're going to fall in. Meaning, if you, if you get close to it enough, then eventually it's going to start changing how you're thinking. And, and bottom line, what you're close to and what you've been close to is, is what you're going to fall into, whether good or bad. And so, so as I'm getting close to him. So, you know, if, if I even look at... What Revelations talks about, uh, you know, it says his eyes are like fire. It, it, the Revelations talks about that he is, uh, Daniel and Ezekiel talk about that he is fire from the loins up and the loins down. So for, for the sake of illustration tonight, I'm talking about him coming close to him. You see, he is the source of the fire. <laughs> it's like, if this works... <laughs> He's the source of the fire. Now, this is a candle and it has a, it, it has a purpose. There's a, this is designed for something, whether it's to smell good, whether it's to light up a room, or whatever the case might be. But the, 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 what we have to understand is this will never get lit until it gets close enough to the fire. So when I get close to the fire, now the candle can start fulfilling its purpose. And it's the same thing. When you get close to the fire, you'll be in a place where you can fulfill your purpose. When you get close to the fire, you will now be an instrument of revival. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Philippians says, determined purpose is to be intimately acquainted with him. Let me make the statement. If it's not a determined purpose now, it never will be. The very nature of determined is... There's, there is a pursuit. 
determine if your determined purpose that's never it's never put off for tomorrow. If it's not a determined purpose, it will never will be. It will always be a good eye. It will always be a good idea, but yet an idea never acted upon. God manifesting in our life is not the fruit of good intentions. Let me read these two statements again. If it's not a determined purpose, it never will be. It will always be just a good idea, but an idea never acted upon. God manifesting revival or God manifesting in our life is not the fruit of good intentions, but the response to pure actions. Go to Isaiah chapter 64. Thank you, Father, for the word. Isaiah 64. Thank you, Father. Yeah, I wasn't going to start with verse 1 and 2, but I, I thank you, Holy Spirit. I think it's needful. Go to verse 1 of Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down, that the mountains might quake and flow down at your presence. Meaning the mountains will be changed because of God's presence. There's going to be a trembling and a shaking because of God's presence. Now, get this. Now it compares it. And flow down at your presence as when fire kindles the brushwood and the fire causes the water to boil. You see, when you get close to the fire, whatever that fire touches, the properties of that thing change. Because it's comparing to that presence to fire, and it's the same thing when you take fire and you put it to water, that water is going to boil, right? Why? Because it got close to the fire. As when fire kindles the brushwood and the fire causes the water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. I believe that that day is, that day is here. You have to understand Isaiah 59, actually 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65 are all scriptures that were waiting to be fulfilled. They're, they're, they're all part of what happened after Jesus comes. When you did, when, when you did terrible things, which were not expected, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence for from of old, no one heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the ear seen God beside you. Who works and shows himself active on behalf of him who waits for him? Thank you, Father. You meet and spare him who joyfully work righteousness, uprightness, justice. Remembering you in your ways, behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We have long continued in our sin, prolonging your anger, and yet shall be saved. Verse 6. For we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteousness, our deeds is like filthy rags or a polluted garment. We all fade out like a leaf. Now get this. 
We fade out like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. God doesn't take us away. It's the iniquities that take us away. You see, when you, when you, it, it all started with talking about what the fire can do. But it's because of the iniquities, it's because of our weaknesses, it's because of our flesh, it's because of our natural selves. Those things pull us away from the fire. Just bear with me here, okay? Then it says this, verse 7. Then it says, and no one calls on your name. Let me read this in the King James. It says, and there is none that calls upon your name. Why? No one's, call, no one's calling on the name because no one's drawing near. There's no one calling upon your name. And it says, that stirs up himself to take hold of thee. Meaning people are being driven away. People are, 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 being, are being sent away. People are, are experiencing destruction. People aren't walking in what they're supposed to walk in. And it says no one's calling on the name and no one is stirring up himself. Let's look at what does this word stir up himself mean? The phrase stir up himself means kindled afresh or keep full of flame. If it is not stirred up, it can die out because of neglect. So what's really what we're seeing here is the fire dies out when we stop getting close to the source of the flame. Let's go to James, go back to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Stirring yourself up. Once again, that means kindled afresh or to keep full flame. Now, what, what causes... I want to transition to this. So, so what we, we see this people that are supposed to be on fire, so to speak. They're supposed to quake at God's presence. But yet... They were taken away, so to speak, and got to a point where God was no longer a focus in their lives. What's going to cause, what causes our fire to go out? Let's look here in James chapter 4, verse 8. We started with this. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Now we saw that in Isaiah 64. They were taken away by their iniquities. It says, and purify your hearts. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Thank you, Father. Now we read this in the Amplified. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Recognize that you're sinners Get your soiled hands clean. Now listen to this. Realize that you have been disloyal. Wavering individuals with divided interests. And it says, and purify your hearts of your spiritual adultery. 
But what I want to bring out is what will cause our fire to go out. We know what will cause our fire to be set is drawing near, right? But what can cause our fire to go out or not burn as bright as it should? It's this double-minded. Double-minded. And the Amplified describes it like this. Wavering individuals with divided interests. The fire can go out when we have divided interests. Meaning you have, you're trying to pursue two directions at the same time. You're trying to go after God with all your heart one day and you're going after yourself the next day. What's going to happen is you're going to constantly be in this state of one day up, one day down, one day up, one day down and wonder why things aren't happening or why things aren't changing is because of divided interests. Go to go to Mark chapter four, Mark chapter four. Hallelujah. You're getting something out of this. Hallelujah. Say, I'm an instrument of revival. Thank you, Father. Mark chapter 4. I'm just going to deal with verse 19 because I want you to see this. Amplified says, Then the cares and anxieties of the world and the distractions of the age... The cares and anxieties of the world, the distractions of the age, and the pleasures and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desire for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word and it becomes fruitless. Now, what I want you to see is whether it's divided interest or whether it's us being led away by iniquities, what we're seeing is whether it's cares, anxieties, distractions, pleasures, false glamour, deceitfulness of riches, the craving and passionate desires for other things, they creep in and they choke and they suffocate the word. You see, when you cut off the source, you cut off and you suffocate and you have divided interests because you're pursuing wrong things, it will put your fire out. And I'm speaking from personal experience. I'm not, uh, this isn't about trying to put any, any one person down. I'm talking to all of us because all of us, all of us could use a, a, a little bit more revival, wouldn't you say? I think we could all, all use a little more revival. I think we all could use, uh, uh, make, make some adjustments. I, I, I think there's a, too many things that are, that are just weighing us down, too many uh, distractions in our life. And, and, and what happened is, is, is it hinders the fire that was originally established and set in your life. Whether it's divided interest, whether it's cares or anxiety. Thank you, Father. So cares and anxieties, they choke the word, they suffocate it, and it becomes fruitless. So how desperate are we in wanting to be instruments of revival? So much so that will we change our schedule? Will we rearrange other things? 
We change what we listen to, what we watch. You know, thank you, Father. Psalm 63, this is one of my favorite psalms. Hallelujah. I'm sowing seeds of revival. Hallelujah. David understood this. And verse 1 says, Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly will I seek you. My inner self thirsts for you. My flesh longs and is faint for you in a dry and weary land where no water is. Meaning he's empty, he's dry because of the world, because of the cares, the anxieties. Mark chapter 4, 19, the distractions of the age. Because all that's happening on around us. And he says, I'm dry and I'm dry in a dry and weary land and there's no water. I'm telling you, there's nothing refreshing outside of God. Amen. Nothing. Amen. Verse two says what? So have I looked upon you in the sanctuary. Meaning out there, there's nothing. So what does he have to do? He is drawing near. He is coming close. He's coming close. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. What? To see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. So will I bless you while I live. I lift up my hands in your name. My whole being shall be satisfied. Now think about, this is, this is his heart. He's drawing near. He's saying, my satisfaction is going to be from you. Meaning there's nothing outside. I'm dry. I'm weary. So I want to get close to the very thing that's going to change me. Drawing near. How important, how much of a priority is he in your life? I wrote a quote down from Dr. Savell as well. It says this, anything that would be willing, thank you, Father, anything that would be willing to give up or to remove from your life would be small compared to the amount of God's power that will begin to flow through you to help others be set free from the powers of darkness. Let me say that again. Anything that would be, that you would be, that's anything that you would be willing to give up or to remove from your life would be small compared to the amount of God's power that would begin to flow through you to help others be set free from all the powers of darkness. Now, if I really look at my life and, and I look at how Jesus lived his life and, and he says, greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. I don't know about you, but sign me up. But what am I willing to remove from my life? What am I willing to give up for something that's greater? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Thank you, Lord. Did I say second? 
First, yeah, first is First Corinthians chapter six. Now this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth, and this is the same one, same apostle that said, My determined purpose is to know him. First Corinthians chapter six. He talks about what they were like before they got born again. He talks about, actually, let's just read in verse 9. Let's the word, let's the word speak for itself. Do you not know that the unrighteous and the wrongdoers will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. This is, the same, this is the same preacher of grace. Do you not know that the unrighteous and the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the impure, immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor cheats, nor greedy graspers, nor drunkards, nor foul-mouthed revilers, or slanderers, nor extortioners, or robbers will inherit and have any share in the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such some of you were once, but you were washed. Now, if your life speaks of any of these things, realize that you can be washed. I'm so glad that God doesn't hold and account our sins against us. But when we come to him and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Oh, he receives, our, our, he receives us unto himself. Wow. He is, but you were washed, you were clean, you were purified from your sin. You were made free from the guilt of sin and you were consecrated, set apart, and you were justified, pronounced righteous by trusting in the name of our Lord Jesus and in the Holy Spirit of our God. And then he says this, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Why do I bring this scripture out? Because there's things that not necessarily might be wrong for someone else, but could be wrong for you. Paul's saying... I can do really what I want to do, but it's not expedient. Why? Because I have a greater call. I have a greater purpose. So what is Paul saying? I, I've got to remove some things. I've got, I've, got to, I've got to deal with some things in my life. I've got to get some things out of my life. All things are lawful for me, but all things aren't expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meaning, I'm not going to let of anything have power over my life but God. That's what he's saying. He goes, I'm not going to let anyone have power over my life but God. So what happens is we settle in this, in this sometimes this Christian life, Christian life, so to speak, and we allow everything else to have power over us. But yet Paul says, I refuse to allow anything to have power over me but God. 
He goes in, he talks about meat for the belly. He talks about fornication. He talks about all these different things. And, and verse 14 says this, and God hath both raised, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Paul's saying, I want my flame to burn brighter. But, but how is his flame going to burn brighter? By, by realizing he can't live like the rest of the world. He can't be like the rest of the world. Hallelujah. God's desire is for us to be vessels and instruments of revival that he can flow through. You can just write down, if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, and you can read that. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time. You have time for two more scriptures? Yes. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy, not first Timothy, Justin. Verse six. This is why, that is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, and fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire. What's he telling Timothy? He, he's, ta- he's talking to Timothy and he's t- dealing with Timothy's tears. He's dealing with his fears. He's dealing with being overwhelmed and he, he comes to him and what does he tell him to do? He goes, stir up. Stir up. Rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire. You are responsible for your fire, not me. Your wife is not responsible for your fire. Your husband's not responsible for your fire. Stir yourself up. The inner fire that is in you by the means of the laying on of my hands. See, when they laid hands on him, there was a fire that went off on the inside of, of Timothy. But what happened? Maybe distractions of the age, the anxieties, the cares, the pressures. Whatever it might be, whatever we could label, but what they were trying to do, they were trying to pull the fire out of Timothy, pull the purpose out of Timothy. And Paul was saying, you've got to stir yourself up. Now, let me close with this. Go to Zechariah chapter four, Zechariah chapter four, come, coming close, coming close. Every day, make, it a, make a decision to come close to him. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. And the angel that talked with me came again, and, and, and he woke me as a man that's wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. So we see a man that's asleep. 
He's awakened out of his sleep. And the angel says, what do you see? He's saying, I see a candlestick. A candlestick has a purpose. It's to burn. Verse 3, and two olive trees are by it. Say by it. The olive trees are close to it. And two olive trees are by it. One's on the right, hand, right side of the bowl and the other's on the left side of it. So get a picture. You have this candlestick. And you have these two bowls of oil on both sides of it. Thank you, Father. So I answered and spoke to the angel that talked with me saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that I talked that talked with me answered and said unto me, "Do you not what know not what these be?" And I said, "No, my lord." Then he answered and spoke unto me, saying, "This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord." Thank you, Father. Let me read this in the Amplified, verse three. And there are two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side of it, feeding it continuously with oil. Continuously. Meaning the candlestick in itself has a measure of oil in it. But yet on this other side, there are these bowls that are constantly connected to that candlestick. Constantly connected to that candlestick, so what that it that it can feed it a continuous supply of oil. Oil is the Holy Spirit. He's a symbol of an emblem of oil. The anointing is a an emblem of oil. A symbol of uh, of uh, the anointing is a symbol of of oil. Represents oil. And so he's seeing this, and he's saying, "What is this, Lord?" And what does he tell him? Then he said to them, the Amplified says this, this addition to the bowls to the candlestick, what was the addition? The bowls on each side. Causing it to yield a ceaseless supply of oil from the olive tree. It's from the olive tree. It's from the source. It's not just another bowl, but it's from the very source. Causing it to yield a ceaseless supply of oil from the olive trees is this word of the Lord to Zerubbabel? Who's Zerubbabel? It's a prophetic word of the Messiah. It's Jesus who would come. So Jesus is saying to us, as you get close to me, and you get close to this ceaseless supply of oil, it's not going to be by your might. It's not going to be by your power, but it's going to be by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, that's why we have to come close. Because as we come close, we tap into that ceaseless supply of oil. And the next thing you know in your life, you will be that instrument of revival. You will be that instrument of revival. But you can't be that instrument of revival if you don't come close. Thank you, Father. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I, I, I want to make a, a determined purpose, a decision, a quality decision 
that I'm coming closer than I've ever been. Just stand to your feet. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. One of the ways that we stir up the gift, one of the ways that we tap into that oil and we tapped into that anointing oil is we stir ourselves up by praying in the Holy Ghost. Don't let the enemy bring you under condemnation. Condemnation is of the enemy. Condemnation is not of God. Now, conviction is of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? Condemnation causes you to feel devalued about who you are. What is conviction? Comes from the root of convince. What does conviction mean? It's just the Holy Spirit is convincing you to make a change. And it leads you into peace and it leads you into life. So I come against and I bind any and all condemnation that would rest upon any heart in this place tonight. But each one of us, we do welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where we've had divided interests, areas where we have been anxious or had too many cares, focusing on the wrong things. So today we walk away, tonight we walk away from those things, Father. And we come close to that, to this anointing oil. Holy Spirit, I thank you for being in this place. Holy Spirit, you are our modern, present day, ceaseless supply of oil. Hallelujah. He loves you. He loves you. He yearns over you with a jealous love. He's not looking for your perfection. He's just looking for your heart. Hallelujah. Just repeat this after me. Father God. Thank you. For loving me. I come close tonight. I draw near tonight. And I thank you that you are near tonight. Father. Cause me. To be. An instrument of revival. Thank you, Father. Just, just pray in the Holy Ghost.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You may say, Pastor Justin, I just felt dry in my life. I felt disconnected from the from the presence of God, the life of God. If that's you, just step out into the aisle. Just in the aisle, right where you are. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, I mean, there's times where Annette and I, we, we have different things that we face and go on, and you get so, so overwhelmed by just the things that you might be facing that you just get busy. Hallelujah. Just go ahead and step out in the aisle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Nikki, can you pray for D? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we're in a dry and weary land where no water is, so we are here in your sanctuary. And we look unto you, and I thank you that we see your power and your glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. Mm. Fill us up, Father. Filled, filled, filled. Filled. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. That we would stir ourselves up. When we are facing attacks or disappointments, Lord, that... That we would do what Isaiah 64 says, that we would kindle afresh and keep a full flame. A keep a full flame. Lord, I thank you for a full flame. Woo, full flame. <laughs> full flame, full flame, full flame. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you.